1: The best companies don't just disrupt their competitors. They disrupt themselves. If you're not constantly reinventing your business, you'll end up getting crushed by more forward-thinking competitors. The problem is that on any given day, including this one where the Dow gained 89 points, S&P advanced 0.24%, as inched up 0.06%, this kind of disruption can be hard to explain. Think about it. How do you tell investors that you're not just trying to guide your company for the present, but for the future? In a business where a lot of people only care about the next quarter or the next year, I mean, it can be very difficult to do. Look at what's happening with PepsiCo today and Constellation Brands last week. Two companies that right now, real time, are disrupting their own businesses and getting no credit. No credit whatsoever. That won't always be the case, but it can take a long time for these, payo- these moves to pay off, which is why making this kind of decision is so darn daunting. This morning, PepsiCo told us it's buying SodaStream for $3.2 billion. This move is breathtaking, both in its simplicity and its forcefulness. SodaStream used to market the product as a home soda machine, and by all accounts, it was a dud. You know, look, I had one and it exploded and had ginger ale all over them. the Darn ceiling of the kitchen, nasty. Wife not happy. But then a couple of years ago, Danny Birnbaum, the CEO, realized that what millennials truly want. He recognized that younger people had soured on uh, well, uh, soda. They soured on soda. Young people are sick of drinks with tons of empty calories and lots of artificial ingredients. So SodaStream rebranded itself as a play on fizzy butter. Carbonation is carbonation. The machines don't care if they're making knockoff cola or knockoff Perrier. But to young consumers, it makes a huge difference seismic. The reason, I think millennials embrace SodaStream because it represents everything a company like PepsiCo isn't. So let's check off the boxes. Millennials, they hate shopping in person. With SodaStream, you don't have to go to the stores. The machine and the canisters are easily available online. Go Google it. It pops right up. When millennials look at a label, and they always turn around them, I never did this, I never knew how, I can't see it anyway. They always turn around, look what the ingredients are. When they look at a label, they don't want to see an endless list of unpronounceable artificial ingredients. SodaStream has no labels, it's just water and CO2. Millennials tend to be environmentally conscious, so they despise plastic packaging, like say, Pepsi bottles. SodaStream comes right from the tap. Millennials, you ever notice they always carry NALS bottles around? What is that about? Well, what that about is, is this. So when PepsiCo buys SodaStream, you should consider it a hedge against the decline of carbonated soft drinks. Even though Pep is starting to make inroads against the rejuvenated Coca-Cola, the declines have uh, stemmed, and I think they're coming back up. Uh, I'd I'd argue that SodaStream is really the answer. As for the price tag, I think it's reasonable when you consider SodaStream's dominance worldwide. You know, they do six times as much business in Germany as they do here, because the Germans take recycling incredibly seriously. With SodaStream, you don't even need to recycle. But there's an issue here, which is the question of how much can you really disrupt? When Birnbaum came on Power Lunch a couple years ago, he talked about how plastic bottled water is one of the biggest marketing scams in history. Hmm, Let me think. PepsiCo makes Aquafina and Life water, the latter of which we drink. SodaStream ran a three-minute uh, ad on YouTube where they recreated the walk of shame scene from Game of Thrones to make the point that you should be ashamed of yourself for buying bottled water. I imagine PepsiCo will want that thing taken down pronto. This isn't like when uh, Unilever shelled out a billion smackers to buy Dollar Shave Club back in 2016 because they wanted to disrupt the razor industry with a subscription model that doesn't require you to track down a salesperson at CVS to open the ridiculous display case where they hide the incredible skin sheet in plastic blades. Like Danny Birnbaum, Dollar Shave attacks the competitors head-on, with its founder and chief wild man, Michael Dubin, just character assassinating the competition. But Unilever wasn't trying to disrupt its own wares, it's disrupting Gillette. Fortunately for PepsiCo, SodaStream doesn't have too much overlap, as Pepsi's not exactly known for its sparkling water, but aside from bubbly, and that's been selling like mad. Maybe that's why this self-disruptive deal happened so quickly. Right? Self-disrupted deal because how much maybe the bubbly's doing? When I asked PepsiCo's CFO, CFO, Hugh Johnson, this morning, why now? They could have had SodaStream for less than half the price a year ago. He said they wanted the proof of concept before they pulled the trigger. We now have that proof. And after a series of blowout quarters, including the latest one, which was amazing, the, uh, it was actually, by, I think, about the best in the consumer packaged goods space, and then we got a proof. In other words, PepsiCo did the right thing. Short term, it may hurt them. Longer term, it's just an outright positive. Still, the SodaStream deal pales in comparison to Constellation Brand's stunning $4 billion investment in canopy growth. The... uh I'd say, let's say the premium or blue chip Canadian marijuana company, and it's bringing their total investment to 38 percent of the company. Constellation is a longtime Kramer fave liquor company that makes Modelo and Corona among many brands. They already own 10 percent of Canopy, so last week they nearly quadrupled the size of their investment. Now, Constellation stock has gone down because investors apparently don't like the move, uh, nor do they like the fact that the buyback is being suspended in order to pay for it. But I know CEO Rob Sands, and he's truly playing a Gretzky game, meaning he's trying to skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. Sands and Canopy CEO, the equally visionary Bruce Linton, see what's happening. Marijuana going mainstream. It will soon be straight up legal in Canada, not semi-legal like, say, Colorado or uh, California, where the state's OK with it, but it's still a federal crime. Legal cannabis could represent a wholesale change in how medicine is practiced. Pain, goodbye opiates, sleep, anxiety, multiple sclerosis, psoriasis. Call your doctor and ask if weed is right for you. And that's without even getting into the recreational side of things. And you know what happens when marijuana gets legalized? Well, people do tend to drink less alcohol. I think, to some degree, they're very much in competition. This is the future, whether you like it or not. Which brings us back to Constellation. The company's beers already account for nearly all the total beverage growth in the category. But Sands and Linton know that in the not-too-distant future, we might be looking at nothing short of the end of prohibition cannabis style. How can Constellation bet against this taking off? How can they risk not owning the best cannabis grower, the best refiner, the best distributor? Yes. Canopy's all that. Sands had to disrupt his own company to ensure that Constellation can still win in the future. Canopy's growth stock just—it uh, it just jumped another 11% today. Time for some of that love to go Constellation's way, as that stock fell another dollar and is now about $33 off its high. Of course, disrupting your own business—it's never easy. I remember when Adobe, the great online marketing e-commerce company, switched to a software as a service model. It created the stock. Now, though, Adobe is a huge subscription business that made its shareholders a fortune. They just had to wreck their old business model to do it. I I've seen Clorox take risks buying companies that are more focused on health supplements, far afield from traditional consumer products. I think it's going to pay off. Or look at CVS's gutsy move to buy Aetna, totally transformative and necessary in a world where Amazon might turn their old fashioned drugstore business upside down and destroy the margins. Then there's Walmart and Nordstrom, two retailers that have thrown billions of dollars in digital over the course of years, and there was really no instant payoff. But then suddenly it all works. More on on both of them later. On the other hand, the companies that failed to disrupt, like Sears and JCPenney, they've been left in the dust. Bottom line, regardless of trade wars and tariffs, two issues that the president made clear this very afternoon aren't done being waged by any means. We need to celebrate these companies that are willing to put their present business at risk in order to own the future. And of course, Pepsi could say, please, Jim, it's only three, not at risk. But you know, It's conceptual, it is ethereal, and it is existential risk. And that's why you want to own their stocks when they settle down. But understand, if companies like PepsiCo and Constellation didn't make these gutsy moves, their competitors would. Somebody's going to disrupt these industries. It might as well be you. Dan in Florida. Dan. Hey, Jim. Booyal, first-time caller. Nice. Good to have you on the show. What's going on? Okay, so I'm looking
2: at KDP, Keurig, Dr. Pepper. They merged earlier in the year, and the info is still reflecting a Dr. Pepper dividend with a Keurig share price, which shows a dividend about 9.6%. Number one, when do you believe the dividend is going to be formally updated? And number two, is this a good investment, Jim?
1: I got to call Bob Gamcourt. He's the fabulous CEO. We'll get Gamgort on. He'll explain this whole thing. But I've got to tell you, in Gamgort, we trust. I've been recommending this stock because I think the combination is a good one. But you're absolutely right. Let's get Bob on, and he'll explain the vision. Evan in New York. Evan.
2: Hey, Jim. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good
1: evening. All right. I thank got a, you.
2: Hey, I got a question about symbol G-O-L-D, Rangel. Now, you had a chartist on about a, a couple of weeks ago with a very promising chart on gold for a possible upside and i've been seeing it come down further and further now look jim we got geopolitical tensions we got currency crises we got trade wars we got high debt levels all around the world bitcoin collapsed and the dollar's up it's down the fed is delvish or hawkish gold goes down in every situation jim now i find out that turkey is selling their gold reserves to raise capital secondary to their currency crisis Now, if the countries around the world are going to sell their gold during economic distress to raise capital, Mm -hmm. then doesn't this completely contradict owning gold for any economic crisis? And I submit to you, Jim, is gold just an old school, useless protection play whose time has come and is now no. gone. You
1: know what? Not, not enough gold is being discovered to feel that way, and I think that we have to take a longer-term view on gold. It is a great hedge. I've been watching Rand Gold stock go down. It does yield 3%. Now, it has been very, very uh, disheartening to see this group go down. Uh, Carly Garner, a great commodities expert, did say that we are at the bottom of the gold market. Let's see what happens. Wow. I mean, this market likes Lululemon. It doesn't like gold. All right, the great ones disrupt their own, and that's why it's time to celebrate the disruptors. Oh man, tonight! Founded from the spoils of the California Gold Rush in 1901, Nordstrom has grown to more than 370 stores across the country. Will new concepts and technology help the retailer return to dominance in this century? Then, after name that you liked makes a big move higher, should you hold on and hope for future gains? I'm using Walmart as a case study. And I've already coined the Cloud Kicks, but Could a cloud prince be waiting in the wings? I'll reveal the name of a play that could be the next in line for the throne. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss
0: a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
3: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
1: Last week was full of miraculous retail resurrections. There was the incredible blowout from Walmart just on Thursday. More on that later. And then Friday, we saw Nordstrom rise from the grave like Lazarus. Here's a high-end department store chain that, that a lot of people... Quite clearly had lost faith in. Now I started recommending Nordstrom at the end of February, arguing that it was too hated, that apparel was too strong, and that the stock was too cheap to ignore. In fact, we even started buying for my travel trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I gotta admit, I'm feeling pretty good now with the stock surging from 52 Thursday to 61 and a half today. I'm more than 18% move in less than a week. Nordstrom is a textbook example of why it pays to have conviction, to be patient, and to believe in a story even when Wall Street's skeptical. Of course, the trick is knowing which companies to put your faith in. For the record, I told you, for instance, to keep faith with Jeff Gannett. He's the CEO of Macy's. After a stock got hammered, even though the company reported a fantastic quarter, the stock bounced back huge today, up 6%. Gannett. He just gets it. Now Nordstrom is a story retailer. It's a really fancy department store with a great brand, 373 locations, a mix of old school stores, cheaper Nordstrom rack outlets, and a few boutiques and personal styling service. However, stock's been kind of a dog for ages. Nordstrom seemed to be losing ground to online competition. Management had a lot of plans to turn things around, but it felt like they always found a way to botch them up. Quarter after quarter after quarter. Earlier this year, though, the Nordstrom family offered to take the company private for $50 a share, about even with where the stock had been trading. Then in early March, Nordstrom reported what was widely regarded as a disappointing quarter. Initially, the stock opened down big, but it quickly rebounded later that same day and actually closed up a couple bucks. That's when I called the bottom in Nordstrom, although I admit I was early, which is code for wrong. Still, if a stock rallies on bad news, that's usually a sign it's done going down. You yeah, had the Nordstrom family effectively putting in a floor at fifty bucks per share, but that wasn't the whole reason I, I recommended it. No, because remember, I don't recommend stocks on takeover basis. Fundies aren't that good. Nordstrom had spent years making some major investments, expanding their online presence, rapidly growing the Nordstrom rack-off price concept. This year, management started dialing these investments back, which I thought would give the earnings a nice boost. Remember, they're spending, spending, spending to disrupt. And you figure it's eventually going to pay off. But while that recommendation finally did pay off last week, Nordstrom has not been an easy name to own in the interim. You need to have conviction to stick with it. The darn thing spent most of March, April, and May trading below the $50 level, so much for that leveraged buyout bid creating a floor. Even worse, when Nordstrom reported in May, oh, man, the numbers, let's just say they were not well-received, to say the least. Despite the fact that the company gave you a meaningful top and bottom line beat, despite the fact that they raised their full-year earnings forecast, the stock got taken to the woodshed or even the wood chipper. (laughs) Why? Because Nordstrom only delivered 0.6% same-store sales growth. I mean, that's barely anything. Now, the analysts were looking for 1.1%, so, man, I mean, it was already pretty low expectations. And the same-store sales are the important key metric, as I always tell you. Even the once-hot Nordstrom rack. Seemed to be slowing. I love my rack. I, I didn't see it coming. The stock sank to $45 the next day. I, I just recommended this thing at 51 bucks. Needless to say, that didn't feel great. Remember what I said? I said that I recommended it, and then it, and I was looking good, and then I looked really bad. But this was precisely the moment when you need to stick to your guns if you believe in the story. That's exactly what we did for my charitable trust, using the weakness to buy more Nordstrom discount. I felt awful initially. But to be fair, even though the stock was getting punished, this was not a, t- a tough call. Nordstrom family are the largest investors. The three Nordstrom brothers run the business. These guys haven't always been the best executives. But they didn't just fall off a turnip truck. I figured that if the stock ever sank to, say, 40 bucks, the board might even be. Agree, agree to sell it for 50 bucks, the amount the company offered earlier. So at 45 Nordstrom seemed like a steal to me, even as it was so painful that day. I remember it was a Friday. I was going to give the Bucknell commencement speech the next day, and it ruined my whole prep day. Ruined it! I got it on the on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. But... Sure enough, it didn't take long for the stock to rebound from its earnings and do sell-off, climbing back to the low 50s by early June. Then last Thursday night, the Nordstrom brothers, at long last, they got it! They managed to get it right. And what they did, they declared declared a true blowout. An 11-cent earnings beat off an 84-cent basis, higher than expected revenue, up 7% year-over-year. But that wasn't even the best part of it. Nordstrom gave you a headline beat last time around, and nobody cared. They yawned. No, what really got investors excited was the same store sales. Up four percent, when the analysts were only looking for 0.8 percent. Wow, that's Nordstrom's strongest same store sales growth in two and a half years. Then the icing on the cake: management raised the four-year guidance on nearly every line item except credit card revenues, which is kind of a throwaway. All these new forecasts were above Wall Street's consensus estimates. For example, company it's, it's predicting 1.5 to 2 percent same store sales growth. The analysts were looking for 0.8 percent. And it's not just that Nordstrom generated great results; it's how they did it company's digital business is finally hitting its stride, up 23% year-over-year to the point where e-commerce now makes up more than a third of their sales. Oh, come on, that's a successful disruption if there ever were one. During the quarter, they had some hugely successful promotional events, like the anniversary sale where the online business really shined. Oh, and after disappointing last time around, Nordstrom Rack is back. It's up 4%. Management was only looking for about 2%. Blake Nordstrom, the oldest brother, says he expects Rack to, and I quote, carry and build upon this momentum, end quote, which is exactly what we wanted to hear. What else? Historically, Nordstrom's never had any real exposure in New York City, which is like NECA for ridiculously expensive department stores. But earlier this year, they opened up a smaller men's store in Manhattan, which is doing very well. And they're launching a full-size flagship store in a little over a year. My take. I think this quarter validates Nordstrom's strategy. The company spent a fortune to upgrade everything, especially its digital business, and that was the right call. When you drill down, the real driver here is the e-commerce platform. Nordstrom actually st- store traffic. It's been pretty consistent over the last several years. The growth is coming from the web, where the company's getting more and more transactions. Hence why the stock folded for 13% on Friday, tacked on another 4% today, after Webbus raised their estimates for Nordstrom, even uh, as they left their price target and their actual rating unchanged. Let me read you a little snippet. Quote, into the back half, We see multiple potential catalysts that fuel upside to sales and EPS expectations, end quote. Holy cow. And yet, Wedbush has a neutral rating on it with a $55 price target. Guys, get with a B. This is why I bet the stock has more room to run. I think we're going to see a re-rating replete with price target boosts as the analysts struggle to play catch up here because so few liked it. Right now, it's it's got almost no champions. Wall Street's way too bearish on the stock. Get this. Only five firms ready to buy. 17 holds, two sells. I think we're looking at a wave of upgrades, which tend to push stocks higher. And look, it's not like this thing's expensive. You know, even up here, it just sells at 16 times next year's earnings, for heaven's sake. It's one of the cheapest retailers i follow. Bottom line, even after Nordstrom's big breakout last week, the stock isn't getting nearly enough respect from the analyst community for disrupting itself, given that the brick-and-mortar stores were always known for their legendary service. They didn't want to disrupt that. What did you in the store? Well, guess what? They've got a best of all possible worlds. Given the strength of the latest quarter. They're going to upgrade this thing even if they need to be dragged kicking and screaming into recommending Nordstrom. Get ready for a bunch of notes about proprietary channel checks indicating better results ahead. Translation, Nordstrom is finally headed in the right direction. And I think last week's run was only the beginning. All aboard. Jimmy in New Jersey. Jimmy. Hey, Jim. It's Jimmy from
0: Jersey. Got a question about Stitch Fix. Um... (laughs) been following this since the ipo would and the wasn't really moving on it up until Oprah got involved. wonder if it's uh, worth getting
1: into it. I back want you to stay it. in this thing. Katrina Lake is doing a remarkable job. We recommend it pretty hard. I'm re-recommending it right now. I think Katrina should come on the show. She is incredibly good. Stitch Fix is a great model. I like personal shopping platform. It's been a winner for anybody who's done it, and Stitch Fix is going to continue to be a winner itself. Nordstrom has risen. Truly, it has risen. I believe the stock is more upside here with analysts finally playing catch-up, starting to slap some buys on it. Get ready for another gradual leg off. Hey, much more man buying ahead. Walmart's everyday low prices have consumers lining up, but its stock might not seem like a bargain if its move higher. Is there still time to put this mega retailer in your shopping cart? Then it's a cloud play. It's over, up over 100% in the past year, and you may never have heard of it. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO, and I got a list of sleeper stocks that are making a comeback. You're not going to want to miss this, so stick with... Kramer! Let's talk about a high-quality problem. What do you do when a stock you love catches fire? What do we do with, say, Walmart, a stock that surged nearly 10% last Thursday after the company reported a completely blowout quarter. I'll tell you the answer. Walmart's not finished. I'm saying right here, right now. Of course, if you bought it in the 60s or 70s and you haven't taken any profits yet, well, then you run into the bulls, bears, pigs problem, right? You have to sell part of your position, if only because you don't want any one stock to become too large a part of your portfolio. But if you don't already own some, you know what? I'm going to show you why I don't think it is too late to buy some. Allow me to explain. The recent move in Walmart is the culmination of a multi-year turnaround plan executed by CEO Doug McMillan. Three years ago, Three years, he laid out an ambitious agenda. Of course, it lasts with all disruptions. What happens? People take it and say, uh-uh, I don't, I'm too scared. I don't want to be there. Macmillan told us that the gigantic retail chain needed to spend a lot more money to build out its web presence and better compensate its workers. Uh-oh, spend money. We know how much we hate that, right? He insisted that these moves would pay off on the long haul. But the stock initially got hammered because investors hate it when mature companies like Walmart go on a spending spree to disrupt their own business. Bob McMillan was playing the incredible long game. He had to spend a fortune. He had to disrupt everything. Sure enough, McMillan was right. The numbers began to pick up dramatically last year. That's how Walmart ended up rallying 43% in 2017. You see that move? Closing at the end of the year at 98, okay, uh, at 98 and change. Even after its run last week, it now sits at $2 from those levels. Walmart's whole rally has really just allowed the stock to make up some of the ground that it lost during the big February sell-off, okay? What happened? After surging to just under $110 in late January, remember when the market was just very frothy, the stock got obliterated. Right in the wake of the market-wide meltdown, Walmart reported not-so-hot quarter on February 20th, and it spooked everybody, okay? It just spooked everyone. Uh, Not only did the company miss Wall Street's earnings forecast, but their crucial e-commerce business, it saw a shocking and completely inexplicable, frankly, huge decline in its acceleration or a deceleration. Well, McMillan pointed out that the growth would pick up again, but uh, by that point, investors, they they weren't moved for any nuance. They they just threw it out. Meanwhile, management's earnings guidance was cautious. Uh, The two-cent dividend boost was smaller than a lot of people expected, and the stock just got smashed. People just... That was it. They were done, done with the Bentonville giant. Since then, the slowly escalating trade war with China has freaked people out. Of course, even this afternoon, uh, President Trump says, hey, listen, it's going to be a long siege. Don't get your hopes up. Walmart sources a lot of its product for the People's Republic, as well as getting about 10 percent of its sales from stores in China. Even when the company shut out 16 billion dollars for Flipkart, that's that huge Indian e-commerce platform back in May. Nobody seemed to care. Look at that. It's like, oh, please. We had stop it already? Deal was viewed as negative because the price tag was so high. A few weeks later, Walmart reported again, okay? And even though they delivered a nice beat, they left their guidance unchanged. Normally, they only updated it for the second quarter. Basically, Walmart's shareholder base needed some handholding, and they didn't get it, which caused the stock to get slammed again. Exhausting, isn't it? Ever since that May pullback, though, the stock has gradually been trending higher as people realized that it had gotten too heated. Now, throughout all this, I have to tell you, I know it's probably made me look stupid for a while, but I have been a staunch supporter of what has been going on in Bentonville. I am a defender of Walmart, insisting over and over again that McMillan's turnaround is worth betting on. Last week, I got some sweet vindication. Not only did Walmart report a solid top-of-line beat, but some of the key metrics look really, really good. Total same-store sales, excluding fuel, increased by 4.6% year-over-year. Much better than the 2.3% number the analysts were looking for here. That was a stunning figure, driven by both Walmart and the Sam Club's discount warehouse business. The latter up 5%. I've pretty much given up on those guys. When you just look at the Walmart chain in the U.S., it had its best same-store sales growth in more than a decade. <laughs> Thanks to groceries, apparel, and seasonal items, Sam's Club had its best quarter in six years. I think a lot of this had to do with Doug Millen's decision to pay his workers better wages. Shoppers like seeing the same faces, and they really like it when they get uh, help from employees who actually know the layout of these massive stores. I was in one in Louisiana literally five years ago and people couldn't tell me where anything was. I went back to the exact same one about three weeks ago and it, maybe uh, five weeks ago. It was gorgeous, and the people who helped me, they knew exactly where to take me. The store was spotless, and I always like to see you can eat off the floor, but who would want to do that? Even better, Walmart's e-commerce business, the other pillar of the turnaround, is re with online sales rising 40%, 40% year over year That's up from 33% in the previous quarter, just 23% in February. So, in other words, he's, th- this was... What freaked people out was the online, and then boom. Remember, at the time, McMillan told us the numbers would pick up again. Hey, you know what? Nobody believed him except for us. He lived up to his word. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Walmart's probably the only retailer with a scale to truly challenge Amazon online. They've turned their 11,700 stores into an asset with a buy online, pick up in store, or BOPUS program. I wish they didn't use the term BOPUS. I was talking about BOPUSing when I was down at that Walmart. I said, listen, we got a BOPUS. My wife thought it was something as matter. I could call a doctor. As far as I'm concerned, it's the best way to buy groceries. Best of all, Walmart raises for your guidance, and they raised it dramatically across nearly every item that was there, OK? And these new items don't even include the boost from the flip card acquisition. This tells me that the recent strength, it will continue. What about the stock? Just this past weekend, Barron's ran this uh, piece. It was titled, quote, time to sell Walmart, end quote, once. Well, at least you got to give them credit for being straight out there. Uh, they trashed the e-commerce and uh, Flipkart business for being unprofitable and questioned the company's ability to earn $5 per share next year. That's the current consensus estimate. I think they fundamentally misunderstood what McMillan is trying to achieve here. So let me tell you why I think Walmart's not done. The stock is trading at just, I put that just because of the growth, is really pretty amazing, 19.6 times next year's earnings estimates. That means it's getting a similar valuation to Home Depot, but it sells for a dramatic discount to Costco which trades at 29 times next year's numbers. Why does Costco get a higher multiple, and why do we care about this? Because Costco's got a faster long-term growth rate, nearly 12% versus more than 6% for Walmart. That's about it. So if Walmart's growth accelerates, it too will start to get a higher price to earnings multiple. And look, that's exactly what's happening. The turn is working. The online investments are paying off. Flipkart will give them a major international boost. And the same-store shares are looking a lot better, especially at Sam's, where they closed a bunch of stores and people were really worried. And in the meantime, the company's got roughly $17 billion left in its buyback authorization, which can uh, it can grow the earnings by shrinking the share count. How much should we be willing to pay for Walmart? This is solving for the priced earnings multiple. Let's learn about this. I think it deserves a price earnings multiple somewhere between the beloved Costco and Home Depot. Depot, which is incredibly well run, okay? The the desk spot's incredibly well run. But investors have gotten skeptical about the business because housing is so hated here. And somehow, Home Depot has gotten more to be home and less Depot. So let's split the difference and say Walmart might deserve to trade at 24 times earnings, right? We're trying to remember. It's like feeling the different weights to decide decide where things should be. 24 is right in the middle. On next year's earnings, though. That means that this stock should trade at $120, all right, taking out that high and going still higher. One more thing. Two weeks ago, one off the charts. I don't know if you remember Tim Collins. He's one of our favorite technicians. He pounded the table on Walmart, telling us the stock was ready to roar. He nailed it. Hey, I like to go back to the people who get it right. So what does he say now? Collins thinks the easy money here has been made but he believes Walmart can continue to churn higher. His prediction? He's betting the stock will trade sideways until the end of September when he expects it to challenge its highs from earlier this year. Ultimately, you could see Walmart going to 115 in the next six months, although it might fall to 87.50 if the broader market falters. I think he's being too bearish on that. Bottom line. Look, Walmart's given us an excellent run. It's gained nearly 15% of the past three months, which is a huge move for nearly $289 billion retailer. But given the strength of fundamentals and what we see in the chart, I think this $96 stock can go to $115 or $120 in the not-too-distant future, meaning Walmart stock, it is still a buy. Let's go to Josh in Florida. Josh. Hey, booyah, Jim. Whoa, spirited booyah. What's up? Hey, um, my wife, Tina, and I purchased 100
2: shares of JD.com in June after Google invested $550 million in the stock. I would like your opinion on buying more while low and
1: the overall future for JD.com in regards to the tariffs that Trump put on China. Well, it's, look, you mentioned the latter is why I'm not recommending any Chinese stock now. It's just too volatile. I will not recommend a stock that can be destroyed by a tweet. That's just too hard. I got enough issues. Not going there. Not going there. Right? Walmart stock has had an excellent run, but I think that's just the beginning. It's not too late to buy. Watch where I have money at, including my exclusive with an under-the-radar cloud play that I first heard about from you, Kramerica. Who says we're not the most interactive show on television? And what General Mills, Ventos, and Kimberly Clark will have in common? Can you think of anything? All your calls also rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In recent years, there's been an explosion and what you can actually do with technology. All kinds of companies are harnessing the power of the cloud, big data, powerful analytics tools, but how the heck do you manage this stuff? If you run a corporate information technology department, odds are that your job has gotten a lot bigger than it was a decade ago, which brings me to one of the best-performing cloud plays around, Aptio. A-P-T-I for you, home gamers. Here's a company that sells cloud-based technology uh, business management software. I know that's a mouthful, but we're going to find out more. It helps chief information officers actually manage their IT so And right now, it's not a lot of transparency. The idea here is that this platform analyzes technical and financial data, allowing IT executives to make better decisions, make it easier for them to communicate the value of what they do to the rest of management. People don't know this. AppDio's stock has been on fire. It's up more than 50% uh, year-to-date. Extraordinary. Company's doing incredibly well. Just reported a great quarter a little less than three weeks ago. Let's take a close look with Sonny Gupta, He's the co-founder and CEO of AppDio to learn more about his company where it's headed. Mr. Gupta, welcome to Mad Money. Thank Good you to so see much, you, Jim. sir. Thank you, Jim. Well, it is so exciting you're on. You you know, our viewers care passionately, and we wanted you on after just a terrific quarter. And what I'm hoping is we're talking about disruption tonight. You can tell us how disruptive and positive, including a return on investment, your company is for the enterprise.
4: Yeah. So, Jim, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. Thank I'm you. I'm a big fan of your show, and uh, also thanks for being such a supporter oh, of well, the Appier story. I'm I'm supporter of companies that make money for other companies. Yeah. You know, the funny part is uh, both of us are in the same business. Uh, You provide viewers with uh, investment advice, and I help uh, CIOs and CFOs manage their technology investments uh, uh, and help them make uh, better data-driven decisions like uh, transformation to the cloud. Well, one of the things that's great, and you're a very transparent company yourself, there's a a
1: fantastic deck, one that says that uh, information technology from cost center to strategic enabler, I'm used to information technology as something that really hurts the bottom line. You're talking about bringing your company in
4: and having it help the bottom line. Yeah. So we are living in a digital world. Every company is a technology company and technology is powering every major business process in the enterprise. Right. And so Aptio has really pioneered a net new category to help uh, provide transparency into technology spending and manage uh, transformation to the cloud. So just like VP of sales has Salesforce, right. VP of uh, HR has uh, Workday. Well, now uh, CIOs have Apptio to manage their technology investments. And uh, we are in the very, very early innings of this journey. And uh, technology has really become a strategic enabler rather than being a back office uh, function. Well, you've won some very big logos that our viewers know because we talk about them
1: and also some government logos. Why don't you give us an example of someone who brings in, te- in Aptio and, and, and the results when they do?
4: Yeah, so if you look at our customer base, our early Genesis was serving some of the world's largest customers. Right. Our customers are MasterCard, ExxonMobil, Cisco, J.P. Morgan Chase, and increasingly so, we are serving of companies of all sizes. So we have companies as little as five million in technology mm-hmm. expense. And the largest customers are managing close to 10000000000 billion-plus in technology expense. So let's take a look at maybe one of our large customers like Cisco, for example. And you know we like Cisco. We think Chuck Robbins is doing a great job. Kelly Kramer, CFO, always need help, though. Yes, and uh, our journey with them started back uh, almost six, seven years ago. They took their billions of dollars of uh, spend on technology, and they put that through our platform to get granular transparency. What are they spending on data centers? What workloads to migrate to the cloud, how to kind of do budgeting, forecasting better, how to benchmark kind of their spend better. And generally, uh, you know, uh, as customers deploy Apptio platform, we find, uh, according to Forrester, they're able to optimize 3 to 5 percent of their spend and move that to new innovation to end up creating kind of more shareholder value. Well, it's also uh,
1: not just uh, public
4: corporations. I think what
1: you're doing for the VA is very signature of Aptio.
4: Yeah, you know, Jim, I am really excited by the U.S. federal government opportunity. Mm-hmm. So there's $90 billion spent on U.S. federal government. Now, if you talk to some uh, folks in the federal government, they'll say that spend is $200 billion. Majority of that spend is managed on spreadsheets, if you believe that. And really what uh, uh, we just uh, we've been partnering with the White House to create a standard cost model. And now the White House has mandated that agencies report The federal cost spending on uh, the cost model we helped co-author. So we just recently won VA. Along we have close to a couple of dozen customers, and that's one of the largest agencies, uh, close to four billion dollar plus spend. And we plan on delivering kind of great accountability into the spend, so they can shift. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into modernize ef- modernization efforts like uh, the cloud.
1: Okay, uh, one last question. You have a close relationship with the company. that We are very fond of VMware, and, and, a lot, and they, you also have a product that they used to own, but you guys have a terrific uh, partnership, don't you?
4: Yeah, so uh, we're really talking about uh, digital fuel. Right. Uh, so VMware owned a company called Digital Fuel. It was probably our nearest uh, competitor. Our market position is right. very strong, and uh, VMware divested that business we saw an incredible opportunity to acquire that business, Mm -hmm. high quality install base, as you would expect. And uh, that acquisition six months in has gone extremely well. And uh, VMware continues to be a great partner, especially as the world moves to hybrid IT computing, we are the business decision engine for the cloud. And I can tell you, as part of my
1: research, they think very highly of you, which therefore means I think very highly of you. Okay, that's Sonny Guptis, the CEO of AppGio. What a stock. Thank you, viewers, for mentioning these great stocks so we do more work on them. May have money. is back Get to the break. Thank you. It is time the light round. Quick, And then the mouse round is over. Are you ready, Steve? That is time for the lightning round. we start with Adam in Illinois. Adam.
2: Hey, I'm calling you from the soybean fields of Illinois with the obligatory booyah. Or...
1: Booyah. Right back, soybean area. What's going on?
2: Uh, maybe it's a boo-hoo. Uh, it's a but
1: when I have kind of an existential question, when does uh, courage of your
2: convictions become irrational obstinacy. I bought Twitter at a very low basis a while back with a price target of 48, and of course it fell up, fell off the cliff at 47.8 or something like that. Do I show the courage of my convictions or yes, irrational obstinacy? Yes, yes, yes. Well, Twitter is, is did not, not have a perfect
1: quarter. They are, they are doing a little rationalization of the uh, the numbers. That those of us who have a lot of followers, I saw my followers drop by. I don't know, like 30,000. A lot of other people dropping. Uh, and at the same time, the company did not really necessarily put out a very good message. But it's now down so much that I think. Bye bye bye! I need to go to Pamela, in New York, Pamela. Ski Daddy. Yo. How you doing? I am Um, doing well. How about you?
3: Good, I'm good. First of all, I would just like to say it was a pleasure meeting you last weekend. I'm one of the lead singers in the band Code Blue that provided the entertainment at the party you attended and you were on the dance
1: floor all night. There's (laughs) definite truth to that. Your energy was was infectious and we can only- Pam, Pam, you came up, I introduced you to my wife and you did a terrific job. And I really thank you for, for singing. You are a great singer.
3: Thanks for being um, really appreciative. Um, and I hope you can advise your New York people that if they want to invest in a great party, to have my band come
1: Well, there you go. Pam's on the She's on All the right. case. I like a hustler. Let's do some business. Yeah, What's going so on? My
3: question is um, Dominion is up over 15% in the last three months and has a 4.5 yield. Um, they're still eighty percent off their fifty-two week Which high. Which is why, is Pam, we
1: think it's still a buy. I have to tell you, I think they're doing incredibly well. And thank you for that kind shout out. And I was cutting it up, ooh, maybe a little too much. Richard in New Jersey, Richard. Yes, uh, Jim. How are you? I'm thanks good. How are you? All, thanks for all you do for all of us. Uh, help us. Oh, make money. you're very kind. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've owned Caterpillar now for quite a few months, and it's in the trading range because of these
4: tariffs. What do I do with it? The well, seller- I mean, that's
1: why I've been recommending uh, United Rentals, because you get uh, all the heavy equipment. They don't use Caterpillar, but all the heavy equipment exposure, but it's domestic. And I think you need that because, holy cow, I mean, you can't. A tweet destroys you. We had a late-day tweet today, and that, I, I think, can cause cat pressure tomorrow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning round.
0: The Lightning round is sponsored by T. G. Ameritrade.
1: In the last few weeks, we've witnessed some astonishing comebacks, and they've given you a whole new reason to respect this market. So many that had been written off, so many stocks that have been viewed as losers, have managed to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Let's tick them down, because there's one thing that most of these stories have in common. They're high-yielders that can thrive in an environment where people think interest rates are going lower this environment. First, we got incredible news this past week from Kimberly-Clark. The consumer products company put through price increases on some of the most popular brands like Huggies, Diapers, Continental, uh, Aviva paper towels. They said they're going to happen later this year. Now, earlier this summer, P&G raised prices on an array of similar products, but investors were skeptical about their ability to get away with it. Then Procter stock went up a bit on a bad quarter. That's a classic tell that business might be turning around, isn't it? Which in this case meant people believe the higher prices would stick. The key signal from Kimberly-Clark, They said the increases would be mid to high single digits. That's good news for the whole industry because it means that they're not going to start a ruinous price war to take market share from Procter. So the group caught fire, including the much maligned General Mills, a 4% yielder with a stock that never really recovered from the big first quarter sell-off. If you want to know the true power of this move, though, look at the stock of Kellogg. This stock's had a remarkable run, well, on, uh, say, a nothing. Oh, and remember, these rallies are a signal that interest rates are headed lower, perhaps significantly. We're talking about high-yield bond market equivalent stocks. They can only rally like this if investors aren't worried about rising interest rates. Remember, 2.9 and 3, they were so petrified. Well, guess what? Not anymore. What makes this move even better? Kimberly Clark's raising his prices to offset commodity inflation. Hey, but wait a second. They're... P- They've put through their price hikes just as commodity costs have started to fall down precipitously. Well, you know what happens then should translate as some sweet margin expansion. Next comeback stocks that was playing dead but are not staying dead... Well, how about this one? Simon Property Group, SPG. That's the huge shopping mall, uh, shopping center, real estate investment trust. Did you know that the dreaded JCPenney has located has loca- locations in 67 out of 107 of Simon's malls? Hey, talk about perilous, right? Yet here's a stock that's just pennies from its 52-week high with 4.3% yield. Now, I find that astounding. Meanwhile, JCPenney's bonds are falling fast, simply that like the company might limp into the holiday season. Yet even as it's an anchor property in more than half of Simon's malls, the stock of this REIT just keep climbing. Some of this is simply because the REITs, uh, REITs rally when interest rates come down, right? But I think part of it stems from the belief that Simon will do just fine without the J.C. JCPenney taking up space and not bringing new people into the mall. That's for certain. Third, There's Ventas. Remember Ventas, The healthcare-oriented real estate investment trust? No matter how many times CEO Deb Kafar will come on the show and tell a great story, no one seemed to care. For years, the stock was a punching bag. Everyone was worried about overbuilding in senior housing. That's fantastic bread and butter. Two years ago, Deb explained that the senior housing market would self-correct, in part because of the cessation of new building, in part because the aging of my fellow baby boomers is creating more demand. Well, finally, finally, That story is playing out. The stock's now up huge since Ventus reported its last quarter, which, uh, by the way, initially the market mistakenly disliked at first blush. That's what keeps happening, remember? At the time, the stock gave you a 6.4% yield, but that wasn't enough to entice the bulls. Now, though, with interest rates seemingly headed lower, the buyers can't get enough, even as Ventus only sports a 5.3% yield at these levels. What happened? Well, nothing with Ventus, frankly. Investors simply changed their minds about the REITs as part of this wholesale revaluation of the bond market alternative stocks. A month ago, these stocks were shunned. Even if they gave you good news, nobody cared. But in this benevolent market, with longer term interest rates headed lower, these well run dividend payers can finally make a comeback. Bye bye bye! Stick with credit. <laughs> Tonight on an all new American Greed. A perfect fraud. Go inside an $80 million art scam where the rich get ripped off, shelling out millions of dollars for paintings by American masters that are all fake. What's on your wall? Do not miss it. Okay, Nordstrom and Walmart. We both, we all think that both those can go higher, and they're not done yet. I like I said, there's always bull market somewhere. I promise, our will find it just for you right here on Make Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.